<laughs> Thank you, Erica and Mike, for pulling that together. And happy Mother's Day. Uh, we recognize this is a complex day for many. Um, and we want to walk this day with grace for everyone. We want to recognize all of the women in our congregation that you are image bearers of God, that you are important members of our congregation, of your communities, of your workplaces, and your homes. We have an appreciation gift for all of the women of our congregation that you'll get this as you leave today. And um, so take note of that. Um, if you are a woman and you are here, we would love to have you take one of these. If you're online, uh, you can stop by the church office um, anytime this week um, or next Sunday. We'll have some of these left for you. Um, so do pick those up um, as you exit today or during the week. So this is our final series on the relationship series. And if you miss some of them, you can go back and check them out. Um, I would encourage you to take a look at those if you've missed them. But today we talk about walking through conflict. It's part of life, conflict is. It's, it's neither bad nor good. It's, it's really inevitable. But how we walk through conflict can be healthy or unhealthy. So it's an important thing for us to talk about. Now, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, blessed are the peacemakers. And today we're going to look at Romans 12, where Paul encourages us to make peace with everyone as far as it depends on us. To make peace with everyone. That's not just occasional people, not just people you like or you all agree on something, but to make peace with everyone. And that is a hard thing to do. Now, why do we have conflict? Why do we get caught up with conflict? When a conflict occurs, we can get sucked into it, right? Starting when we were children, right? We, we experienced conflict in our homes, and how did those around us handle it, right? Was it explosive? Was it silent? Was it engaged? Was it disengaged? And, and we walk through these early experiences of conflict, and they journey with us. They shape us, and they affect how we walk through conflict today. We can be triggered by things that happened in our past that, that are coming to the surface in a conflict today that maybe has nothing to do with that early experience. You can think about if you've gone to a shelter to adopt a dog and you approach the dog and you know the dog cowers and shivers or snaps, you know there's something in that dog's past that has happened that makes him fearful. Or if it comes up to you and wags his tail and licks you, you know something else has happened, a good experience. And, and we can sometimes be the same way. We can be shaped by our past and how we enter conflict. So how do we first break kind of the conflict cycle? I want to lift up a few things for us today. One is this idea of, of being right or our rights. I am right and you are wrong, right? We live in an ever-increasing polarized world and society where there's very little middle ground. You're either this or you're that, right? You're yellow or you're blue. You're Democrat or you're Republican. And on and on the list goes, and we stake our position, and we don't want to give in, and so we want to be right. And so disagreements can easily become divisive, right? Disagreements can become points of the conflicts themselves, and we can see this in every sort of facet of life. Now, we're not looking at so much Romans 14 today, but Paul is writing the Romans about challenges the church is facing there. And he basically says, you know what? Um, don't quarrel over lesser things. 
Now, Paul assumes there's a right answer to the things that they're wrestling with, but he also knows that having the right answer is not the most important thing. Don't despise, don't pass judgments on those you disagree with in 14.3. And then ultimately it says it's more important for us to keep walking in love, to walk together, to build one another up. This idea of making peace with one another is rich in Scripture. And so we need to ask ourselves, are my positions that I stake myself on, are they contentious? Do they push others away? Do I use my positions to attack other people, or am I looking to make peace with those I disagree with? So that's this idea of I am right, but also this idea of rights. In the U.S., we'd call it inalienable rights, this idea that I'm entitled to certain rights. So if somebody has stepped on my rights, then I'm entitled to to get back at them, right? We hold these things sometimes sacred and we'll defend them and we'll attack others when they've encringed and infringed upon our rights. Those rights can be a form of power that we use against other people. Now, we see this in extreme cases in the U.S., right? My right to bear arms, right? My right to not wear a mask, right? There's this very uh, small idea of maybe giving up some of my rights will be better for the whole. Maybe we have a little bit better grasp on this in, in this culture, but we can still be triggered in these things. So, so that's one thing that fuels this cycle of conflict that, that keeps us kind of locked in and making the conflict worse. The second one is how we react. Now, we talked last week um, about attachment style, and, and that attachment style can, can fuel our reaction, whether um, it's secure or insecure, especially those insecure attachments can fuel how we're reacting, Right? Our amygdala, as we were talking about several weeks ago, that part of our brain, that kind of reptilian brain gets triggered and all of a sudden we're not actually engaging the disagreement rationally. We're actually just kind of pure emotion at that point. And so we feel this, you've made me feel bad, right? And so I want to make you feel bad. And we react, maybe not about the situation at hand, The ongoing sort of missing fish saga was very much that thing between Erica and I. It wasn't so much about the fish, but it was this idea of reacting and that inner voice that said either my needs don't matter or I don't measure up. And that reaction is fueling the conflict. It's not actually getting at the heart of what was going on. It just fuels that cycle. So that brings us to our our primary text today, Romans 12, and it'll be on the screen. It's also on your uh, bulletin. Uh, Let me pray, though, as we begin to dig into this. God, I thank you that you are present here, and we thank you for your word, and I pray that your Holy Spirit now helps us to understand your word, that it is meant to, to work in our hearts and work in our minds, so may your Spirit be speaking to us and through us, God, today as we encounter you in Scripture. Amen. So let's look at Romans 12. 17 to 21. Now, again, Paul is writing the church in Rome, and they're having lots of different conflicts, and he's wanting to speak into that situation. And this is what he says, starting in verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge 
my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to take avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome eat. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, in one sense, it's reassuring to know that we're not the first people to wrestle with conflict. This is the early church here, and they're clearly wrestling with conflict and responding in evil ways to that conflict. But Paul is saying, do not repay, right? Do not take revenge. It involves just giving up some of your right to do those things. Those things might come natural to us to get back at that person in some way. But Paul is saying, make space for God to do the right thing. Make space for God's justice. Make space for him in some mysterious way. Maybe now, maybe in judgment, maybe in reckoning that God will make these things right. So invite God into those. This is not always intuitive, though, right? He doesn't say, don't just do bad things. He actually says, do good things for your enemy. Do good things for the person that you're having conflict with. And that's a harder step. We're going to unpack that a little bit as we go on. So one of the things that he says in this is, do not take revenge. Do not do it, right? Revenge is this desire to get back at the other person, to make them pay you know, sometimes our fallen understanding of justice mistakenly thinks that justice is making somebody pay for their wrongdoing. When somebody wrongs you, you feel bad. So you think, I have a right to make you feel bad, to make you feel as bad as I do. We see this in the Old Testament, right? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And we see Jesus rewriting these laws raising the standard for it. See, eye for an eye is not justice, it's retribution, right? It's thinking the other person needs to feel as bad as I do. Since they have stepped on us, I can step on them. I have a right to do that. Now, revenge can take a couple of different forms, hot revenge or cold revenge. Hot revenge would be, I'm judging you, I'm attacking you, I'm angry at you, I'm going to do something hurtful to you. That's kind of what I would call hot revenge. There's also cold revenge. It's no less damaging. It's withdrawing. It's pulling away. It's giving the silent treatment, the cold shoulder. It's just as destructive as hot revenge. Now, if I were to pick which one of those I do, <laughs> which do you think I do? Hot revenge or cold revenge? Both. Both? <laughs> cold? Okay. <laughs> Whew. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah, probably cold revenge, right? Is, is, and for sure, that's the one I do. And that's, you know, what I saw in my home growing up. We never really got to the issue. Um, and so there was a pulling away. And sometimes that can feel less revengeful. It's, it's weird for me to think about it as revenge, but it really is, right? You're wanting to get back in a way that is destructive. You're wanting the other person to feel badly. 
Um, so whether you kind of react now, there are moments where hot revenge, right? If I'm on my bike and I get cut off by a car, then, you know, I get stirred in, in anger and, I, and I'm working through that, right? But our brain, you know, right? Science tells us that our brain, when we're acting out in revenge, it actually gets pleasure from it, right? There's something that it does for us. We're getting back at you and there's this reward that we f- can fuel us. Ultimately, it will lead to bad things and destruction, but we get this pleasure from it. We have to recognize that, that that can just pile on and make things worse. Jesus was never vindictive. He was never revengeful when he was seeking justice, right? Jesus overturns this idea of eye for an eye. So conflict. A fourth sort of thing that can fuel um, conflict style is resentments. And, you know, we talked about we live in a retribution society. You need to pay back. And, and sometimes that is part of what we need to do when something has done wrong. You need to make it right, right? You have to pay to get it fixed. And, and that's an okay thing to have happen. But when we apply that retribution to forgiveness, then we've lost the plot line. Because we can never really earn forgiveness, right? We can never pay back so much that somebody has a right to be forgiven. We see that in our relationship with God where he forgives us while we were still sinners, right? There's not so much we can do to say, "Ah, I've earned my forgiveness, right? We can't do it with God and we can't do it with one another. Ultimately, it's something that has to be only given and not earned, But if this forgiveness doesn't happen, then the resentments build up and it's just like putting bricks into your backpack. They begin to weigh you down and keep you from solving the conflict. So how do we work through it in a healthy way? I want to go back here to um, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, I think when we're in a conflict and we feel our right has been violated, we have the right to revenge, we might not see our actions as evil. We might actually feel justified in doing our actions. But Paul here is saying, actually, those things are evil. They're not the right response. And what will happen is you will be overcome with evil. I sort of had this image we were talking through this passage yesterday, our men's life group, and had this image of being in a well, and you're trying to get out of the well by repaying and revenge. You're wanting to feel better. You're wanting to get on top, but the ways you're responding are actually keeping you sunk in the well, and you can't get out, and you're being overcome. And what does Paul say here? He says, but overcome evil with good, doing good things for the other person, solving it in healthy ways. And that sometimes is not intuitive. It doesn't come natural to us and it's hard to do it, but actually it's transformative and redemptive. So how do we do that in healthy ways? First is humility. We walk through conflict with humility. Paul, in the same chapter of Romans, says this. He says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, with right judgment. Think of yourself not better than the other person, right? Not necessarily worse than the other person, but humility. Humility allows us to admit, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. And that's a great place to start in the midst of a conflict. 
Last week I was having lunch with somebody and I um, have my headphones. I love to listen to podcasts, especially if I'm walking someplace and it's over 15 minutes and I'll put these in and I, I got to the lunch and I, I took them off and you know, sealed it up and put it on the table, had lunch, finished lunch, left, and a few minutes later I realized, ah, I left these on the table. So I walk back in and they're gone. I talk to our waiter and the manager and they, they can't see him and I, I leave my card, right? pastor. And I think maybe whoever took it will feel a little guilty. They just stole the pastor's <laughs> headphones, right? Um, and we'll call you if it churns up, right? So a week goes by, nothing. I'm like, oh, all right, they're gone. And I think, well, let me just retrace my steps that day. And so I walk and I had stopped at the grocery store on the way there. And I, I talked to them and say, maybe I left my headphones here. Now, I had to admit that maybe I was wrong about them leaving on the table, but I was pretty sure I wasn't wrong. And I talked, no, no, we haven't seen anything like that. It's been a week. And, um, and I showed them what they looked like. Went back to the restaurant. Any sign of it? And the guy looks at me like he's never seen me before. And I'd, this is the guy I'd given my card to. And he's like, oh, no, let me get your card. And I'm like, no, it's okay. Uh, and I was thinking, ah, oh, they threw away my card. They're not looking for these things, you know, and I'm starting to judge them in my heart. And I go home, and later that night, I get a phone call. From where? The restaurant? No, from the grocery store. I had set them down somewhere in the grocery store, and they had turned up. So I was very happy. Here they are. I got them back. Um, but it was so hard for me to admit in that moment that I might be wrong. And that's something very small, right? When we're in a conflict, we want to be right, right? When we've been wronged, we want to repay the other person. But humility opens spaces in our heart, opens space with the other person where we can go to these places that are a little bit deeper in our lives. Humility also looks at the log in our own eye before the speck at the other person, right? And this is what God is calling us into as we look to resolve conflicts. The second um, way to walk through a conflict in a healthy way is to stay regulated. Now, we've been talking about this in, in some form throughout this whole series. I'm recognizing that if you're not regulated in the midst of conflict, it's not going to be healthy, right? You need to step away. You need to calm down. You need to realize something has triggered you because in those moments, you're not going to discuss things that are going to be healthy. So do that. Don't just, but don't step away forever, right? Don't just ignore it. That doesn't help the conflict go away either. So, so be regulated. When you're regulated, you can take a, a healthy step. Now, the next one is hard. It's sacrifice. Sacrifice. We see Jesus as the example of this. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that, that Jesus did not, um, did not grab hold of, did not demand equality with God, and yet he lowered himself. That was both humble and a sacrifice. He lowered himself to be born as a man, to be vulnerable, to be hurt, to ultimately be killed. 
He shows us what sacrifice is like. He shows us that love requires sacrifice. Paul in 1 Corinthians says, love bears all things, endures all things. There's an element of sacrifice to our relationships and walking through conflict that is helpful. Now, it's not just sacrifice for sacrifice's sake. It's sacrifice for a reason. It, it might mean setting aside your agenda. It might be setting aside trying to fight for being right in this moment. It might involve compromise, tolerance, patience, forbearance. As you wrestle through getting to solutions, in a conflict. Now, what if you're in an abusive relationship? Uh, this is kind of a caveat in the midst of this. If you're in physically or seriously, emotionally abusive relationship, it's not loving to let that to continue to go on. If you stay, it's usually out of fear um, that you will be hurt even worse. Or you might stay because you're afraid of losing that person. But the most loving thing in those moments is to set a boundary. that abuser might need to feel and experience consequences. You're not being loving by letting them continue to treat you or someone else that way. We all have worth and value, and love can put up boundaries, seek protection as the most loving response. Fourth, forgiveness. Now, we've talked a lot about forgiveness at Community Church, and we'll put some links on the YouTube page um, later to other teachings because it's really um, its own sermon. But in Matthew 18, 22, Jesus tells the disciples, and they're asking, how many times do I have to forgive, right? And he says, 70 times seven. This seven word has this idea of completion, like you're going to keep doing this. You're not going to reach a point where you go, oh, nope, sorry, no more forgiveness. It's this idea that is ongoing forgiveness in our lives, that it's unlimited. And is that easy? No, I think forgiveness is one of the things we wrestle with as humans the most. But forgiveness does not have to be earned. Sometimes we might withhold the forgiveness because they have to pay. Now, there could be an important part of them making up the loss, right? You broke something, you need to fix it. But forgiveness is something separate from that. It's releasing the other person. So the person might never repent. They might not apologize. The person who has harmed you, they might be dead, right? They might not ever be in your life again, and you might still be carrying around this unforgiveness, weighting you down, actually being destructive and toxic to your own heart. So forgiveness is releasing that debt of you owe me. It's releasing that debt to that person and saying, I can no longer, I can no longer say that, that you owe me. We don't have to carry around that resentment. And this pulls out some of that energy that feeds the conflict. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean that everything is okay. It doesn't mean that what they did doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that there aren't consequences. And forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation is automatically restored. It doesn't mean that trust is automatically restored, but it does mean releasing it, releasing that burden. And if we can forgive, we can begin to experience a shifting in our heart that could lead us to reconciliation. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23. 
24. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying that our relationship with one another impacts our relationship with God. That God cares about our relationship with himself and also with each other. We can't compartmentalize my, our lives and say, I'm, I'm holding this person and I'm not going to forgive them and, and think that it doesn't spill over into our relationship with God. It does. It spills over. It has an impact on our hearts. So God says, Jesus says to his disciples, go and be reconciled, right? Because you can't worship me and, and be in denial about these other areas in your life where you're having these fights. Now, sometimes, um, like we said, forgiveness does not mean reconciliation, right? If the person is still acting in toxic ways towards you, you can forgive them, but you maybe need to have a boundary where the reconciliation still keeps them at a distance. Reconciliation takes two people, so it's not always possible. It doesn't always depend on us, but we can do our part. This verse says we get to take the initiative in trying to breach that gap. So these are some of the things, again, that feed the cycle. Rights, reactions, revenge, resentments, and, and healthy ways that we can work towards working through conflict. You know, Jesus recognizes that this is not easy. He recognizes the importance of it. We see time and time again in Scripture of, of bringing our full self to God, not in isolation of how we're doing life, but to bring all of that to God. And we're going to sing in just a moment or two, come to the altar, right? And you might be sitting there going, oh, they just said don't come to the altar if you're having this conflict. So I want this time to be worship for you, but I also want it to be reflective for you that maybe during this song is a time to think about, are there relationships that you need to take a step forward? Is there a text that you need to send? Is there something you need to release in your heart? Allow the Holy Spirit to connect and to speak to you during this time because God cares about us. He cares about our relationships. He cares about our heart. He wants to bring transformation and redemption. He wants to clean us, to restore us, to pour into us. So God, we do pray for all of that. I pray right now that you guide us in our thoughts about relationships, God. Maybe we've acted out. Maybe we've been giving somebody the cold shoulder this very morning. Um, a sibling, a spouse, parent, God. Maybe we were yelling at somebody on the way to church today, God. Maybe we have a long neglected relationship where we're holding unforgiveness, God. I, I pray that you speak to us about ways we can take steps forward towards you and towards the other, God. That you help us, God, to have healthier, more redemptive and redeeming relationships. That, God, we recognize we cannot do this on our own strength, Lord. but we can do it with your strength. We can do it with who you are, God. So we invite you into this time, Jesus, in your name. Amen. <laughs>